G'day folks, it is your coach here and boy oh boy am I excited to talk about Space Lizard, but not just Space Lizard, we're talking the lizards that sit in the mortal realms, not the ones being dreamt of, the ones that are real, they are the really real Seraphon. Um, we are talking all things coalesced Seraphon and my guest is the Slan of YouTube. Uh, he is a part of the Dallas Gaming Group Defenders of the Citadel. He claims that he is the best, the top Seraphon player in Texas. But when I went to Dallas, I couldn't validate that because I was smashing down barbecue. It is Caleb Hastings. How are you, mate? Howdy, y'all. How y'all doing? Good to be Howdy on y'all. Howdy, y'all. <laughs> could, could we do any more? Uh, like, I'm going g'day, and you're like, howdy, y'all. <laughs> yeah, hey, that's what we do here. <laughs> Some of us. <laughs> that's all right. Mate, I'm, I'm excited to talk because Seraphon is certainly a great battle tome. It's a fresh battle tome. My biggest gripe is that we're, we've seen less than 50% of the battle tome. People have been drawn to the Starborn, and people have been drawn to the Skinks, to the Salamanders, and the Slan. And that's not a problem. I have absolutely no issue with it. But there's so much great stuff in this battle tome that no one's talking about. And I thought you would be a great a person who'd be able to explain. I mean, obviously, you could talk to me about the Starborn as well. But I, I would love to explore the other side of the book. And if anyone is drawn to the dinosaurs, anyone does want to run those um, those dinosaur riding dinosaurs, um, our Saurus Cav, um, yep. I thought what a great opportunity to talk all things Seraphon coalesced. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I, I love Coalesce. They're a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Some of the Starborn may be a little bit better, some people claim, but the Coalesce is a lot of fun. Yeah. Like, let's make no mistakes. At the moment, probably in the future as well, that the <laughs> Starborn is just better. Like, from a domination of, of magic and some of the teleporting shenanigans and the summoning shenanigans, it is better. But it's not everyone's style. Not everyone is drawn to running skinks and star and, and, and salamanders. Not everybody wants to do that the the heavy metalists. Not to say that this build isn't competitive, but let's explore some of the options. And hey, maybe there is an opportunity for you to bring that that um that carnosaur into your starborn. Or at least let's look at is there a way to build some competitive lists? And Caleb has given me two lists we're going to explore today. So we're going to go through two different builds of the Coalesced. Yep, yep. Before we get into that, do you want to introduce, anything you want to introduce yourself to? Obviously, uh, Caleb does have a, a Seraphon-based channel. In the channel description, I do have the link as well. So go check that out if you are a fan of the Seraphon. He breaks down lots and lots and lots of stuff. I couldn't believe there's a whole YouTube channel dedicated to Seraphon, <laughs> but there is one. Yep, yep. That's what I, I focus on is Seraphon. I started off just kind of doing uh, my tournament reports there on my channel. And once we got the new battle tome, I'm like, I got to break this down. Let's try to go through each unit, build some lists. So having some fun there since we're in stuck in COVID, we can't do too many tournaments. Um, I'm, I'm doing some games that we've done with some buddies and, and kind of breaking down the, the minutia of, of Seraphon. <laughs> Mate, you're smashing it out and, yep. and absolutely worth checking out. Uh, do go and subscribe, go check it out. He's smashing out content for Seraphon. I couldn't believe there's so much to talk about with one <laughs> army. But what drew you to them? Of all the armies that are available in Age of Sigma, what drew you to Age of Sigma and what drew you to the Seraphon specifically? Um, well, you know, I, we have a couple of game. We have a gaming group that that's a couple of guys, and and we've we've been doing different games for a while. And 
they kept saying, you know, you really ought to do this Warhammer thing. And I was like, nah, you know, this is, this Warhammer is not for me. I don't know what y'all are talking about here. I'm not, I can't paint. I don't want to do any of that. And they actually kind of tricked me into it. That they're like, here's this board game. It's called Warhammer Quest, I think is what it was. And uh, so they brought it over to one of our game nights and we're playing that. I'm like, all right, all right, this is fun. You know, I'm, I'm having fun here. I can understand it maybe. And one of the guys like, guys, I just need y'all's help. I need y'all to help me. It was like a, the Age of Sigmar start, starting box or something. It was like Stormcast versus Corn, maybe. Yeah. He goes, I need, I need y'all's help to help me cut some stuff out and glue this together. It's just, we're going to sit around, talk, have some fun and just do this. All right. So started doing that. And that's what hooked me. I'm, I'm going to be I'm just building the models there, cutting them out of the sprues. I don't know something about it. I love building the models. I probably like building them better than I do painting them. Um, but that's kind of what got us hooked in. And then fun fact, building is actually my favorite part as well. <laughs> yeah. uh, I've thought about being a commission builder at some stage. I'm like, I couldn't do the commission painting, but I would happily build your models. I'll scrape those mold lines. Yeah. I'll glue yeah. those parts. Yeah. Um, maybe not some of the old terrain, but the building is very relaxing. But please continue. So, you, so you've been, the Venus flytrap has started. You've played <laughs> a little bit of Warhammer Quest. You've been asked to help build some models. Yeah. And then he's like, you know, guys, we ought to really just run just small games. We're not getting serious. And I, I'm pretty sure this was all part of his plan in the, in the long run. He's like, just buy a start collecting box. Here's your options. And so I'm looking through them and just instantly I was drawn to the Seraphim. And I don't know if it's the, you know, childhood love of dinosaurs. Probably so. Um, you know, if, if you're, if you're my age, Jurassic Park was, you know, was seminal in, in, in your childhood. And so, uh, that T-Rex carnosaur looking thing was just, I, I've got, I've got to run that. And, uh, so there's nothing like the Velociraptors coming at, um, at the kids in the kitchen <laughs> or even, um, even Dennis Nedry getting that, um, uh, what is it? The, uh, what it get that spit kind of thrown out. It's almost like a, yeah, yeah. a salamander. just like, you know Absolutely. why that's ready to attacks now because he see that, that scene is just causing absolute terrors in Jurassic Park. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So that was, that was what got me hooked right there. So I, I bought, I think one start collecting. And once I got that built and started painting, I was like, okay, I'm in and just started buying more. And we, you know, we have four guys that play just about every week, and we've tried to keep that up during COVID, trying to trying to stay safe, but go to each other's houses and and play. And eventually, we kind of reached out and we saw that there's a community, a really good community here in in Dallas, Texas, and and they would run local tournaments every month. So we'd be able to go up to our local store, Texas Toy Soldiers, and play every month. And then there's a Texas Masters scene, which is is the grand tournaments they we have four of those a year and there's a there's a whole ranking system and a finals a master's challenge that you get to go to and so i once i saw that the competitive juices just started flowing i'm like okay i've that I, i'm in this you know it's not too much of a commitment to go you know once a month and play a tournament it's a ton of fun um and so that's 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 how I, that's how i got hooked we we played uh, 2019 was a, a really fun year for the, for the Texas master scene. We had, it was, it was, it was really rocking and kicking, but uh, we're kind of on a break because of COVID, but hopefully it'll get kicked up again here. And, and I'm in your group. I'm in your Dallas, Texas group, not from, uh, I'm from there, but I had seen the amazing community that you guys had mm -hmm. built in the different regions and how you kind of brought the different regions together and getting some competitive juices flowing, but also having fun. You've obviously got the Warhammer, 
Citadel as well. So uh, mm -hmm. a lot of cool things happening in Texas if you are in the area, if you want to get involved in the area. But you've got drawn by the Seraphon because the Venus flytrap asked you to start building. You got drawn <laughs> to start building a force. And here you are with a YouTube channel talking all things Seraphon. So if I want to learn about Seraphon, and let's say I'm new, well, let's say I am drawn because of the Jurassic Park uh, aesthetic. I love the idea of dinosaurs and these skinks and, you know, the, the Mayan Aztec kind of aesthetic. Or there's something in this army that is drawing me and I want to paint them. From a gaming side, let's talk high-level strengths. What are they good at? Um, it's it's kind of an interesting army because it's with the new Battle Tome, it's very diverse. And, and so you can... Whatever your play style is, there's almost something you can specialize in Seraphim that way. If you really like melee, you can do melee. If you really want to do shooting, there's lots of shooting. If you want to dominate in that magic phase, you could do that too. And so I, I think that one of the strengths of, of Seraphim is that if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're building an army, you can go one of any way that you want to. And, and that's also something, you know, your opponent, if they see that you're playing Seraphim, they may not exactly know what to expect because they can get hit with anything. Like it's, there's mobility, there's tankiness. It's, it's, it's pretty awesome how, how wide that, that, that battle tome is and, and that you can play it pretty much any way you want to. Yeah, uh, I'm seeing in the chat some people are almost like crying. They're like, Seraphon's good at everything. I think it's probably <laughs> worth calling out that they have the tools to do everything. Yeah. It's not to say that in every build they're going to be awesome at shooting, combat, magic, um, uh, battle shock, movement. Yeah. Like they're not good at everything in every list. But like Cities of Sigma, like a few other battle tomes out there, Stormcast Eternals, because of the depth, you do have utility to be able to build a shooting list, to be able to build a combat mm -hmm. list, a magic list, uh, a fast movement, you can teleport around. So you have tools. And when, you know, what, one of the funny things, when this Battle Tome first came out, um, this new one, there there was a lot of, there were a lot of tears online because if you look at just the War Scrolls for some of these units, they're not impressive. Um, I know previous to this Battle Tome, I played a lot of Shadow Strike, which was a lot of Ripper Dactyls, and I supported it with a lot of Razor Dons. Well, both of those, you're probably not even going to see those on the table now in this new Battle Tome because those just, just, I mean, they're just not very good now. Um, no, I haven't seen I haven't seen any pterodons or ripodactyls yet. I also haven't seen any bastillodons, despite everyone losing their minds at the one plus <laughs> armor safe of bastillodons. I'm yet to see anyone running it around. So yeah. uh, sometimes we have boogeymen that uh, aren't quite real. Yeah, and and uh, you you see on a lot of these war scrolls that that they they're not that impressive when you first look at them. But this army is all about synergies, and so you layer synergies on top of synergies on top of synergies, and all of a sudden. These things are going to be putting out a lot of, of, of output or they're going to be tanking a lot of stuff. And so you, it is a, it's a wide book, but it's also a pretty deep book in that if you just throw in a bunch of models out there, you're probably going to lose. You have to really work on those synergies in this army um, unless you're just throwing out a bunch of salamanders. <laughs> if you just max out salamanders, they are really good. So th there are some strong units in the in the army and salamanders is one of those. Don't, don't, my, my advice would be don't uh, over-invest into salamanders. Uh, no, no. You, you may get burnt in the next FAQ. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So I've, I've got the list. So we're going to go through the allegiance abilities. We're going to go through um, some of the particular parts of the battle tome when it comes to coalesced, because, you know, we obviously Starborn, we can talk at Starborn somewhere else, but I want to talk coalesced. So what do I get for by, by being Seraphon compared to, um, you know, just being even like Grand Alliance Order? So we've got Warriors of the Star and the Realms. So that is just having to choose whether it's going to be coalesced or uh, starborn. Can I can I choose not to do that? Yeah. So when when you're choosing your army, you're going to go either coalesced or starborn. You have to choose one of those, and they play they play pretty wildly different, and they have a lot of different abilities. And so that starborn is a lot more about that mobility, the movement, the teleporting, the summoning. It's kind of what you see in the old Seraphon book. Um, in Coalesce, it's all about monsters. It's about kind of reducing damage. It's about the Saurus wing of Seraphim. So a lot of times, you, I mean, you can almost split it up into Skinks is Starborn and Saurus is Coalesce. Is kind of how it breaks down. The um, next rule, the next rule you're going to get is the um, Contem Com Contemplation. <laughs> I've, I've had coffee in my mouth; is all sticky of the Ancient <laughs> Ones. Basically, uh, at the at the end of the hero phase, you can pick one friendly uh, slan and replace the spell that they know. So, um, yeah, this is this is good because it it just gives you flexibility. So on your slan or croak, they're both keyworded to the slan there. So you can you can choose to swap out your your lore spell, which is pretty good. The lore spell isn't that great. There's there's really only about two spells I would take, maybe three, depending on the list. But this allows you to if uh, if you start with one spell and it's not going to be effective versus your opponent to just switch it to something else. So quite good. Quite good. Yeah. Great, great versatility. Yep. And then finally you get, or sorry, when you go Seraphon, you, you got one final thing. And then when we go Coalesce, you get a whole bunch more. Mm -hmm. So the last thing you're going to get is the, um, the sacred, was it Astrums? Mm -hmm. Asterums. Um, so basically at the start of your hero phase, you pick one of the following, um, until the next hero phase. So you've got the great Drake, you've got the shield of uh, the hunter steed, and then the sage staff, which is a whole bunch of things. Was it uh, at the end of combat, pick one friend, enemy, uh, Seraphon hero, uh, plus one attack. You can plus one to the run roll and charge rolls, or you can, was it one friendly Seraphon wizard? You can add plus one to cast and dispelling. And this is, this is all part of that flexibility that Seraphon has, where if you just put it on one and stick on it, you know, that's not really what it's designed for. So this is a buff that you just change at the start of your hero phase, depending on what you need. And so they're all useful. And I tend to end up using all of them in a game. Um, I, a lot of times you'll want to start off with some heavy casting with, with Croak or your Slon. And so you're going to pick the Sage's Staff so that you have that plus one. And it's plus one to casting, dispelling, and unbinding as well. So it's it's pretty nice in that it kind of gives you that extra plus one. Slons and Croaks are naturally plus one. And so you, you can really do a lot in the magic phase to kind of determine the flow of the game. But once you get stuck in combat, you probably want to switch it over to one of the other ones, like the Great Drake, to where one of your heroes is really hitting a lot harder because they do get plus one to their melee weapons. Um, Hunter Seed is, is good just to give you extra speed, especially in Starborn. This is pretty awesome. But also in Coalesce, I end up using this a lot too because you get plus one to run and charge. And there's a lot of ways that you can uh, run and still charge. So it effectively gives you plus two by the time that's over. Which is awesome. Yeah, that, that's great. Yeah. Um, 
So there's, a bit, there's definitely a lot of versatility. I know our Squeak fans are really excited about White Dwarf. We've just gotten the the, the Jaws of Mork that mm. gives us plus one of that damage. We're like, yay, this is so awesome. So being able to get some additional attacks, again, being able to, you know, improve the ability to to, to charge and run. Um, as And, you know, obviously that can stack with cogs. There's, you know, some other ways you can really boost that number up. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the, stage, the Sage staff as well. So you can start to see that some of the synergies and start at some of the ways you can really take advantage of these rules. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then we we drill down a little further and say, right, well, I'm going to choose Starborn and I'm gonna, or I'm going to choose Coalesced. So for the purpose of this video, we're only going to focus on Coalesced. So Coalesced comes with a whole bunch more. So tell me more what I'm going to get for my Coalesced buck. So in Coalesced, you're, you're going to get... Um what's uh you're gonna what's listed here but the first one is the uh cold-blooded and so with that cold-blooded this one is kind of an interesting rule so it says it ignores modifiers positive or negative to bravery characteristics of coalesced and so this is kind of nice if you're facing a bravery debuffing list that's gonna like that's just gonna kill your bravery on these things but it can also hurt you it's kind of strange because you don't get a bravery modifier for hordes and so the hordes, when you have more than 10 units in a, in, a, in a 10 models in a unit, you get plus one to your bravery for every 10. Well, that modifies your bravery characteristic, which this won't let you do. So you have to be cognizant of that in coalesce in that if I'm taking a horde, you don't get that horde bonus for bravery. And so you, <laughs> you can get really killed by bravery sometimes, especially if you're taking like a unit of skinks in coalesce, which they're still good in coalesce, but they have a bravery of five when you're playing them in coalesced. And so they can run pretty quick if you're not careful because of this cold-blooded rule. Um, we've also got predatory fighters. And so we add one to the attack characteristics of your jaw weapons. And this is this is nice because just about everything in the army has a jaw melee profile. And so this just gives you a blanket one extra attack on all those jaws. And so this is just a pretty cool little little function here but it helps you uh, raise that output on your army. Um, I get excited about that one because you can put like plus one, um, plus one attack on something like a Dread Saurian, which is already an absolute combat monster. And then you're just like, cool, plus one attack. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, It also helps with Carnosaurs who have a, their jaw attack does a lot of damage. So that, that, that can make them a lot more, more dangerous as well. Um, Another one, Primeval Domain. And so this this affects the terrain that's in your territory. Basically, you don't take any of the negative effects from the terrain that are in your territory. Um, If you play with terrain features a lot, this this one will help you as as you won't get punished for those ones that are in your territory. So not a a bad rule. Uh, Pretty nice if you you roll wrong on the terrain table. (laughs) So you're going to be able to take a part of a damned because damned is an optional. um, You don't have to take damned, but it's there. Arcane gives you the the magic. Inspiring gives you the the bravery. uh, Mystical as well. So you can still take advantage of that cool stuff. Mm -hmm. But things like deadly and sinister, you get to ignore. So that's really handy, especially even terming which side of the table you're on. You could take something that has deadly uh, and not worry about it, or you could give it to your opponent and just laugh in their face. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and the the last one and probably most important for Coalesce is Scaly Skin. Subtract one from the damage inflicted for each successful attack, attack that targets a Coalesce unit to a minimum of one. So this right here is where they get a lot of their toughness. And so this is, this is absolutely brutal against something like 
um, ogres or trolls or are these elite units that that put out you know two damage attacks or three damage attacks. This will just I mean it, it cuts them down to scale. So it's 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 quite powerful as part of their tankiness. Now they FAQ'd it doesn't affect mortal wounds. So if you have mortal wounds coming in you from whatever whatever they come at you magic or shooting or or uh, it melee things that proc mortals that won't affect that. They'll you'll still take all those, but regular attacks will subtract one from the damage. So it's 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 pretty good. Yeah, that's sweet. That's sweet. I think we're starting to kind of build a bit of a theme here. We're starting to understand a little bit about where this army is going to go. And I can't wait to wrap around your thoughts on how to build a list that's going to take advantage of the coalesced rules. Mm-hmm. Any final thoughts before we get into Because I've got a burning question, and that is the, the question I get often asked is around terrain placement. Because one of the cool things that you guys get is you get a piece of terrain. Uh, and allegiance-based terrain. And sometimes for people, it's very hard to understand where to put it on the table because they don't want to make a bad decision, being that this has a large uh, base as well, which makes it difficult to know where you want to put it and where you want to take advantage. So what are your thoughts and, and how do you take advantage of uh, as a coalesced force with the Realm Shaper engine terrain piece? So <clears throat> the Realm Shaper engine is, is kind of interesting. It, it goes down... After you've set up the objectives, but before you set up terrain. So you put it down before you set up terrain, kind of like the Bone Tithe Nexus. And then you set up the rest of the table around it. So you have a couple things that you need to ask yourself on, you know, where I put this. Because you don't know which side you're going to get. Now, in the new GHB, they have this little rule for setting up the table where you roll and player that whoever rolls highest is player a whoever rolls lowest is player b and player a sets up the terrain player b chooses their side and this actually helps us a lot for this realm shaper engine because if you're player a and you're setting up terrain you know that you're not going to get to pick the side um if you're player b and they're setting up your the terrain you put your terrain down piece first and they set up their terrain you know which side you're going to pick and so um you have to weigh that in if you don't know which side you're going to choose like if the other person is going to be selecting the territory then you need to ask yourself a couple questions do i want this in the middle to just cause problems do i want to set it up in a way that i can use it if it's on my side but he also gets the the my opponent will also get the advantage of using it because this realm shaper engine can be garrisoned and so it it can be garrisoned by anybody even your opponent And yeah. so it can help out your opponent, which is kind of strange. I was just about to say that it can benefit you as well, your opponent <laughs> as well. So uh, they can garrison. So I could put like a nice little block of handgunners in there. I could put like a, a hero that I wanted to avoid. Obviously, there's some stuff that comes with it, but um, but they're, they're you know very much like the the deepkin boats. You could use it uh, offensively. You could use it defensively. Or you could just put it in the center of the board and not have to worry and just be a pain in the butt, like the Bone Tide Nexus. Mm-hmm. There, there is, and you'll see. You know, this is some like high level strategy here. But yeah, there's, there's a some people who like to put it in the very corner of the board and put their slon uh, behind it, not in it, and then put some throwaway unit inside of it because when you're garrisoned in there. Um, nobody can come within three inches, kind of like the normal unit movement of your guys. And so it makes your slon or your croak extremely hard to get to if he's back in the back corner. There's only a small little narrow pathway to get beside this thing to your slon. So you can do something like that. 
if you know you're going to choose your side, put it in a place where you want to deploy your wizards into it because it does have a, a decent bonus on it. And if you have a wizard in it um, or a priest, you can choose a piece of terrain on the table and it'll do mortals around it to the enemy units. And depending on how far it is from you, it depends on the roll. The, the further away from it is, you have to roll higher to make it do mortals. But it can, it can, it can, you know, give you some output that's further away from you, um, all the way up to, you know, well, as far as you want on the board. But you'd still have to roll a six for that to happen. But um, it gives you some ranged mortals if you deploy your guy into it. You, you, I have seen some people do some goofy stuff, like put a Bastildon in it, so it's kind of almost like a little, like a pillbox or something that's just sitting there on the table shooting things. Um, it's worth noting as well that it's only Seraphon Wizards and Seraphon Priests that can activate that that mortal wound from range. Mm -hmm. It's you know if it falls into my side, which is the enemy's side, uh, and I do garrison a wizard on there, I don't get to do that. It is only Seraphon-based wizards. So just, mm -hmm. just for anyone who might play it and go, oh, cool, there's a Realm Shaper engine in my side of the board. No, you can't use it. It's only Seraphon. Um, I, I love the idea of putting something like Chameleon Skinks in there and just mm -hmm. being a jerk because regardless, you can put Chameleon Skinks anywhere on the board. So even if it does go into your enemy territory, um, you've still got some shenanigans and you're being a distraction card effects with, what, a 100-odd point um, unit of Salamander. Not Salamander. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Chameleon uh, Skinks. And the Chameleon Skinks get a big bonus if they're in cover. So that's an excellent <laughs> unit to put into it if it's, if it's on the enemy's side of the board. Absolutely. Yeah, well... Let's talk about my, your list, not my lists. Um, anything else you want to talk about with Realm Shaper Engine, or should we get into two lists? And you've been really kind to share with me two different lists. You've both got, given me a, a Coattails Claw and a Thunder Lizard. So excited to look at both. Uh, one thing before we leave, like Allegiance abilities, and it's not mentioned in the actual abilities, but it's mentioned later on on the War Scrolls. But one of the I think one of the most important things that Seraphim has is bound endless spells. And so they get, they get a How rule. How did we miss that? How did we yeah. miss that? It's not listed up there. It's listed, um, it's listed uh, like a page or two prior, just in small text somewhere. So it's, it's, a, it, it's, it's a, a tiny little spot that you might miss in the book, but it actually yeah. is amazing. And there's one rule that I wish as a Cities of Sigma player I had. It, it grinds my gears that I don't have it. But uh, yes, tell me about Boundless Endless Spells. So so they, you know, a while back they came up with these things called Endless Spells, which are these physical spells that you put on the board and you can move around. And they pointed them um, specifically because some of them are can only be used by you and moved by you or not moved. Um, and then some are controlled by both of you and you take turns and it can come back to hurt you and all this kind of stuff. And some of them are pretty powerful. Um, Seraphim pays a 10 point penalty onto those. So 10 extra points and only we can move them. <laughs> so this is amazing for some of the endless spells. Some of them it's useless, like never take a bound Bailwind Vortex, but a bound Purple Sun or a bound Geminids. See, are I disagree with the bound Bailwind Vortex. Um, oh, yeah? Because if you're Starborn, I know if you're Starborn, there is a spell that allows you to spell all the endless spells on the table. True. So if you still had a bound endless spell, it means you'd stay there with Croak on the, the, the Bailwind while yeah. everything else around you is gone. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's like a nuance if you if you build that way. Absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, these are extremely powerful. Um, you can cast, you know, a, a Geminids 
and it can go across the board, and then ju- you just drag it back and forth all game in in their ranks and wreak havoc. And so it's and you're paying an extra ten points to ensure that these things never come back and hurt you. <laughs> so for, for for anyone who's quite new or hasn't quite played with endless spells, uh, what Caleb's talking about is predatory spells. So if you look on the War Scroll, there's a whole bunch of them that are known as predatory. So predatory ones are controlled neutrally. Um, the, the round after their cast. So if I cast it in round one, at the top of round two, bef- you know, before we determine who goes first, basically what happens is when you roll priority, the person who goes second moves the first endless spell. So they basically become neutral assets. And what Caleb's talking about here is if I cast Geminids, and Geminids is one that's a really good example because you get two of these little models, and when they touch an opponent or go past a, an opponent's unit, they do D3 mortal wounds. There's a potential in this particular endless spell for 60-odd points is that you can do 2D3 mortal wounds plus one is going to be mi- minus one to hit and the other one will be minus one to their attacks mm-hmm. for 60 points. For an additional 10 points, as we currently stand in the General's Handbook 2020, it means that um, those Geminids cannot come against you. So you can just keep going forward, keep popping opponents. As Haywo and Twitch in the chats mentioned, things like Purple Sun, things like um, even Emerald Life Swarm, you could stop it from going into your opponent and healing them up. Mm-hmm. Things like Quicksilver Swords. There are so many of those predatory endless spells that you might go, right, well, I'm going to stay control of this. And it is all a reward, zero risk. Absolutely. Yep, yep. I mean, there are spells that you probably kind of shy away from in a lot of lists because you don't want them coming back on you. And here in Seraphim, we say 10 points, no risk. <laughs> and there's one endless spell that you've got in your list that I really love that I wish that I I could use more often because it's one that you don't see well, mm-hmm. uh, you don't see very often, but because it's bound, it makes complete sense. It's like a free command point every turn. Um, and it's cheaper than a command point. So I love it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah. yeah. All right, so let's go through the Coattails Claw. The first list we're going to go through is the Coattails Claw. Um, do you just want to give me a high-level overview of what you're going to, what you're tapping into here with Coattails Claw? So Coattails Claw is is definitely the list for Saurus. This is where you want your source because all your source units, when they charge, they get a plus one to hit. And that's that's kind of the 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 general idea of this list. And in this in Coattails Claw, you basically get a free aether quartz brooch on a four up you get your command point back and so you're going to be recycling command points which this army spins like crazy so you need command points but the source become a lot better um, in this list because charging they get plus one to their hits and they need it because their war scrolls a lot of them don't have great hit values and so getting plus one to their hit is pretty good is very good um so that's that's kind of what this list is designed around. We need source, and we want them to be charging. Um, you do have to take a source general to get that that um, um, to get that aether quartz brooch, basically that dominant predator onto your general. So you have to make sure he's the general. And by the way, you're just like grinding people's gears right now because we've lost aether quartz brooch in general. So it's basically <laughs> like you get a free artifact that's not available yeah. uh, to anyone else now. But basically, for anyone who doesn't remember aether quartz brooch, uh, when you spend a command point, you regenerate them on a five plus. So mm-hmm. you're going to be able to get more command points. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we lost aether quartz. I before we did that, I actually ran 
Aether Quartz and Dominant Predator. And you're just, I think I had like 14 command points at one point. <laughs> Legion of Grief do the same thing. They basically just do they do double ups, but you can't do that anymore. Cry, yeah. cry. Yeah, yep. You've got your, uh, yep, so we've got Dominant Predator. Um, so on a four plus, you get that extra command point. And then the Artifact of Power. So uh, mm. pick one of the bearer's melee weapons. If that modified hit roll for the attack is a six, you, do, you inflict two mortal wounds in addition to the normal damage. That's brutal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, and we want this. You, you'll pretty much always see this on a Scar veteran on Carnosaur because they have six attacks on his spear, and um, so it's it's a it's a decent one to put it on to get some extra mortal wounds out. There's not really um, there's not really anything in our in our list that has like an absurd number of attacks from the hero. We get a lot of attacks from mounts and stuff, and so this artifact is nice. It's nothing that's going to be crazy, but it'll get you some mortal wounds out. Reminds me a lot of the squigs, the squig builds that I do in um, in Gloom Spite, and especially again, I mentioned the the jaws of Mork that have just come out. You're really trying to super enhance those bites. Those bite damages often do a lot more damage than the riders do. So it's looking at ways you can really take advantage. And again, the Dread Saurian, I keep calling it out. It's a, a model that you may not have seen before, team. It is a Forge World model. It is one of the biggest models around. Um, I think only surpassed by the corn dragon, mm-hmm. but um, damn, it's imposing. I think I saw someone build a list and share it with me the other day. It was like four dread saurians, at least three, <laughs> if not four. Uh, yeah. It was brutal. Yeah, it's it's pretty nice, and especially in uh, coalesce because he'll get or in thunderquake, uh, thunder lizard. I'm sorry, he'll he'll have 37 wounds doing minus one damage, and there's ways to heal him, uh, and there's ways to get him plus one to his save. I mean, you can. Dread Saurians can be quite fun. <laughs> ah, just it's the terror you put on the board. Yeah. List number one. So we got Allegiance ability uh, Seraphon. We've got the constellation of Kotal's Claw. The rules that we've just spoken about. And uh, what I'll do is I'll read out the list, and then we can kind of break it down a little bit and explain to me why you made the choices that you made. Whether it's you know, for example, the the Saurus Scarvet. Why did you take that version as opposed to another version on a Carnosaur? Like this, we'll talk through some of the logic. So from a leader's choice, we've got Lord Croak with the um, Stellar Tempest. We have the Saurus Scar Veteran on Carnosaur, who is the general with the command trait of Dominant Predator, has the War Spear, and has Inviscerating Blade as the artifact. We also have another Saurus Scar Veteran on Carnosaur with the War Spear. We have a, uh, two Skink Star Priests, uh, both with Hand of Glory. So you've really doubled up here on the spell casting. So talk me through some of your leader choices. What's the logic behind it all? So Lord Croak um, is, uh, I want to say he's he's an automatic add to every list. He he's not necessarily, but it's close. He's he's pointed quite well. You'll you'll see a lot of people complain that he is well undercosted. Um, in a lot of lists, I think you you see he's not going to be doing a ton of damage. And this is one of those lists where he's not going to be doing a ton of damage. He's there for support. Um, he does get to roll three dice in your hero phase and on four ups, he's going to give you an extra command point. And so he's going to be generating command points. He does have four casts that he can cast. And so he can, um, do a board wide comet. And basically you, you pick D three or D six units and do D three mortals to him. So this is, this is when you kind of see people complain about Lord Croak that he, you know, he has a potential to do 18 mortal wounds from that one spell. And generally I find I do, you know, two to four 
wounds with that uh, mortals on the board. Now that's enough to, you know, you're killing off support heroes turn two or three with basically no effort. And so that can, that can really frustrate some people. Um, but in a lot of lists, you're taking them as support. There, there are ways that you can, you can pump this dude up to give them a lot of damage, but you're, you're going to invest, you know, an, an extra 600 points in this guy. If, if you're going to, if you're going to be clearing somebody's army with Lord Krog. So in this, in this role, he's support, he's generating command points and he's trying to take out those, um, those support heroes on the other team. Um, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask a loaded question here. Cause I think you've just made a very device, a divisive uh, comment <laughs> about the points value of croak <laughs> do you think the the value that you get out of lord croak is increased in a starborn list and you feel that lord croak is appropriately costed in a coalesced um i just want to clarify your point because i think some people will be sitting here thinking they've seen the raw damage potential and yes yeah. There's a whole bunch of things you got to do to kind of really supercharge Croak. You're getting the Ashleth Berry. You're getting, you know, there's a whole bunch of things you got to add to get Croak to where he's doing super damage. Yeah, yeah. So I've I've, I've played I've played a ton with Lord Croak, and I'll I'll tell you uh, probably a lot of bad feelings happen when you charge him. You 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 get stuck in combat, and then he's just gonna blow up everything within ten inches of him. Unless you're specifically building the army to do damage from Lord Croak, he's he's really just support there, and he's he's going to be great support. He's going to make up his points with command points that he's making back, and so that's that's not. I think he's still pointed low, probably for coalesced, because he's generating so many command points. Um, so he is going to be worth it, I think, in both lists. He probably is better in Starborn for sure. But we need him in this list just for his raw command point generation. And by the way, there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with what I just said, or you know, asking this question. And it's hard to do because again, I'll, I'll, I'll use my cities of Sigma reference, the Hurricanum or the Hurricanum, right? The Hurricanum is like three hundred on point. I think it's three twenty. It's like three, or oh, maybe two eighty. Like it's something around the three hundred point mark. And it's yeah. a good little support wagon. It gives you plus one to cast, plus one to hit. It has one cool spell. But then it gets completely supercharged when it's in Hallow Heart and then you get the additional spell, you get the being able to add plus D6 to a cast. Like there's some crazy stuff that happens. Yeah. And it's hard to point an allegiance ability. And we learned that very quickly with, um, with, with Hagnar from Daughters of Cain. It's like, how do you point Hagnar versus a Daughters of Cain build in any other fashion? How do you, how do you, how do you point um, uh, Petrifix Elite versus, you know, everything else? Cause Mortec Guard are just so much better in PE than they were in Mortis Praetorian. But this is not the points discussion. This is not General's hand, but we, we, we don't have any influence. Yeah. Uh, but I know some people will be sitting here. I think you do get good value out of Croak, Absolutely. probably even more so in Starborn. So so one of, one of the biggest arguments for, for his point cost is statistically he will do two mortal wounds turn one. That's... Is that worth 320? I mean, I think that's worth 320. You have to put a lot more into them to uh, to get a lot more damage turn one. So I, take it what you will. It is very divisive, his points cost. So there's lots of arguments online about how much he costs. It's I'm, all good. I'm, it's I'm, all good. We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not going to, we're not going to like, it's all good. We won't, we won't spend too much time on points. Yeah, um, and points change so often as well. But okay. uh, we got Lord Croak. Um, did you explain what Stella Tempest does? Stellar Tempest is a basically a horde busting spell. So it has 24 inches on the range. So it's got great range. 
you're not really going to be able to cast it turn one. Um, but once uh, once you get a horde in range, on a, you roll a dice for each model in that unit, and on a five up, it takes a mortal. So great at, at helping you clear hordes out. Um, a lot of times, I'll end up you know turn two if they don't have any hordes, I'll sw switch that over to like the healing spell, so he can heal. It's just one wound to a unit, but it kind of helps kind of bring somebody back up if they're if they're hurting. So, so really what we're looking at here is if you're building a Starborn, you're likely using Lord Croak as one of your damage dealing, I guess, offensive weapons. In in a, a coalesced, really, you're building around your, your monstrous cavalry. You're looking for those bites. And Lord Croak probably plays more of a support buff piece as opposed to being the primary damage dealer. He's Yeah, he's your command point generator because you really want command points to spend from your general. You're going to be spending quite a few command points in this list. And so you really want all the command points you can get. And Croak helps that out. Next up, we've got that Soros Scar Veteran on Carnosaur. So you've got two. Uh, one is your general, one isn't your general, both equipped with the War Spear. Talk to me about why one is your general. Um, and there's no battalion in this particular build, is there? No, no, there's no. no so which, which is why we have the artifacts, because that is the uh, the, the Coattail's Claw um, command trait and mm -hmm. the artifact. Yeah, and there and there, it's a good command trait. I, I, I like this for this list, and you, we, you talk a lot about um, you know power pairs. You you have this guy to support these units, and so this scar veteran really supports our source knights that are down there. And the the scar veteran, uh, why do you choose that versus the old blood? The old blood's command trait gives you a plus one to hits. Scar veteran gives the hit of six on a unit will turn into another hit. And so the Source Knights, which is what these guys are going to be supporting, um, don't benefit as much from that extra plus one to hit because if they're charging, which is what you want the Knights to be doing, they're already getting a plus one. Another plus one, actually, you can't take one of their attacks any lower. It would already be at a two up for the, uh, for the, the Cold One's Bite. And so we don't get as much play out of that as we do the Scar Veteran where we want those to explode. We're going to be rolling lots of dice out of the Source Knights. And so we want that six to explode into more attacks as well. Um, he is taking the war spear that, that gives him six attacks. And hopefully we can hit that eviscerating blade, which gives him some mortals um, onto those. And then the same thing for that next hero. He's, he's a scar veteran as well. He has that same command um, ability and he's going to be paired up with the other source knights as kind of two pairs, uh, two, two um, units that are going to be advancing up the board. Why not both? Why not? Because obviously you've taken two um, Scar Vets. Why not take one of each? Um, you can. It's. I, I think this list, we just didn't quite have enough points. Um, the Old Blood is about 20 points more. He's He got cheaper, and I like him a lot. Uh, and in Source lists that focus on Warriors, I end up taking him a lot more because the Warriors can benefit more from that plus one. Um but here in this list, we have we have other ways to get to his plus one. In fact, the command trait that goes with Kotal's Claw is a plus one. Um, so you can just get his same command ability uh, for free, basically. You don't have to take him if you don't want to. And by the way, all, you know, all we're doing here, folks, is looking at a couple of different lists, breaking it down. And if you are, you know, you want to die on a hill and say that the old, uh, the the uh, particular, you know, build or a particular monster or a particular whatever, you want to put the Dreadsaurian in here, for example, um, you can now look at this, go, right, well, I really like this particular build. I would drop the guard and then, you know, boost that up to be um, a different type of, you know, 
whatever, whatever. Yeah. I think yeah. you, you kind of get my point here. Absolutely. That, um, the, the flexibility here shows you off a framework and then you you, you tweak and tailor or you go, oh, I don't really like this and I wouldn't take the purple sun, so I would rather X and that gives me more points, so I do this. Yeah. Absolutely. This is, and this is not, I'm, I'm not trying to build the, the net list of net lists here. This is a fun list in Codal's Claw where I have lots of dinosaurs riding dinosaurs and we're, you know, having fun in this list. Um, I think, it, I think it can be good. Um, but it's, this is Codal's Claw. You're taking this to have a lot of fun with Source. So. You've got two Skink Star Priests, both with the Hand of Glory. So the Hand of Glory is casting value of six. If it's successfully cast, pick one friendly unit wholly within 18 of the caster. Uh, until your next hero phase, you can reroll hit rolls of one for the attacks made by that unit. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we, we've got two non-source um, units here, these heroes. And these heroes are fantastic. Now, you'll see them in just about every... Uh, seraphim list i think these star priests because they have an automatic buff they just point their staff at a unit and that unit will do mortals on wound rolls of six and so it's it's very good if you're going to be rolling lots of dice and so i'm going to be pairing both of these star priests up with that unit of source knights and scar veterans to buff those knights up as they as we send them off to glory they they do have a spell hand of glory, which is reroll hit rolls of one. You know you can get that with a command point if if the spell doesn't go off, but it gives you some extra spell um, casters here in this list. Also of note, if once you advance them up the board, you know turn two or three, once these star board, star uh, these star priests are in the mix, you can cast croak spell through them if they're within range. So. And, and by the way, you can't cast Hand of Glory twice no. for anyone who might be wondering. It's no. there for redundancy. Absolutely. The other one, obviously, is there to cast their signature spell on their war scroll. But yeah, the skink the skink spells aren't they're not the best. They they do. I love Hand of Glory. I'll take it. They have a couple that are that are are decent, but I like having the that redundancy for the for the Source Knights in this list. And obviously, you've got three endless spells as well. So one could cast Hand of Glory. One could throw out an endless spell. So. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess my point for any new Seraphon player is you couldn't cast Hand of Glory twice. You're there to choose the best unit to put on on the table, depending mm -hmm. on how the battle's going. And, and their native spell is actually pretty good. It's a, it, It'll do minus one to hit for an enemy unit. So also good to... You've got a lot of options with these Star Priests here. They, they, can, they kind of fulfill a lot of roles. They're, they're going to be target... You know, they're going to be targeted by your enemy pretty quickly. So that's why I have two of them out there. I can see we've got some really excited people in the chat here, like uh, <laughs> like Anthony Paul Castro, absolute 3D printing master, but also uh, one of the best Seraphon players I know as well. Uh, just a general gentle giant, I love him. But yeah. he was he's mentioning in the chat as well, you know, Star Seer for 3D6 charge and giving a plus one armor save as well. So again, this is kind of where Absolutely. you can take part of the framework and then build in your own version of it, so which is Absolutely. which is great to see. Yeah, there there is a the battalions in. Seraphin are kind of hit and miss. I really only ever take one of them, but the fire, um, the fire lance, is for the knights, and I considered putting that in this list because they get plus three to their charge when they're around the the, the hero from that battalion. And if you take a star seer, you can then be charging from forever away, especially if you if you put in the constellation that gives them plus one to their charge. So it is. There are some combos here where you can shoot these knights all the way across the board. And get them get them into the enemy's lines pretty quick. Anything else you'd mention from a hero point of view? 
Um, no, no, that's it. I think that's it for the heroes. So then the units you've come in with. So you've got a unit of 10 Saurus Knights with Lancers, 10 Saurus Knights with Lancers, 5 Saurus Guard, 20 Saurus Warriors with Spears, 20, uh, 20 Saurus Warriors with Spears. Uh, and I did allude to the fact that you've got Endless Spells. You've got three of those. So you've got Bound Purple, Purple Sun. You've got Bound Malevolent Maelstrom, Bound Geminids. So let's go to the units first. So the Saurus Knights are... I think kind of a sleeper unit here. I think I think they're quite good. Now, none of their attacks have rend, so you got to keep that in mind. There are going to be some lists that these guys will just bounce right off of and do no damage. But in Coalesced, um, they each Source Knight is going to be doing seven attacks each because um, they have their normal weapon, and then they have. A bite from the the source guy, the source warrior, the source knight riding it, and then bites from the the cold ones, and both of those bites get that plus one jaw attack, and so each one is going to be putting out seventy or seven attacks. So this unit, if you can get them all in, is going to be doing seventy dice at uh, your opponent. If you get the right bonuses that we talked about earlier, that should average about forty damage on a four up save. So once you get these guys into combat, um, they can they can do some some pretty pretty impressive damage for only 200 points. You do have to invest the right synergies. So remember that if you don't put the right synergies into these guys, you're not going to be doing much damage. Um, but with the mortals from the Skink Star Priest, with the exploding dice from the Scar Veteran, then you can do some damage. They uh, of note, they do need to be charging because they get that plus one from Kotal's Claw. And then also on their War Scroll, they do two damage for their uh, lances when they charge. So they get a little bit better. But you will have to worry about the, You've also got the War Drummer that lets you re-roll the charge. That's pretty mm -hmm. sweet. Yeah, just about all Source units have a banner of some sort and a musician. The musician lets you re-roll charges just for free. So that's kind of nice in that... You, you don't have to ever worry about spending command points on that. And then the banner gives minus one to bravery for enemy units that are within range of it. They can't stack, unfortunately, um, but a nice little bonus if you're, if you're going to make somebody run away. Maybe a question or a thought for people is um, I I'm looking at the Soros, War uh, Soros Knight uh, War Scroll, mm -hmm. and their movement is only eight. Um, and, and, and from a cavalry point of view, that's not as fast as maybe what I would think of as cavalry. Would you consider maybe putting in a like a chromatic cogs, for example, to kind of increase that speed? Or do you, do you find that the eight is enough for you? Um, when I play them, I, I'm not trying to alpha strike these guys. You know, a lot of times I'm going to put these warrior screens up, let them absorb the hit and then counter charge with these knights. And so I don't think they're designed for the alpha charge or the alpha strike. You can, though. Like I said, if, if you do cogs, if you do the constellation to run and charge, if you do uh, fire lance battalion, these guys can ease and a star seer. These guys can easily make it across the, the, the table. So on the war scroll, they're pretty slow. And I think they're supposed to be kind of a counter charger unit, not really an alpha strike speed cavalry type of thing. No, and, and the minus not having any rend um, does tell you that. You know, I can, and I'm comparing this mentally in my mind with um, again, Cities of Sigma, my Drake Spawn Knights. My Drake Spawn Knights do have rend, so but they don't put out seven attacks. Yeah, um, that's a lot. That's a lot. So yeah. you're going with a weight of dice, and this is kind of where 
re-rolling ones to hit or adding pluses to attacks. They're really just going to absolutely overwhelm your opponent, and especially yeah. on plus one damage as well. That's that's insane. And and a lot of uh, and you're going to get a lot of damage from the star priest buff because you're throwing so many dice. You're looking for the wound roll of six, and you've got a good hit roll on all of these because you're getting plus one. You're going to hopefully get the re-roll ones from the from the spell. So you're going to get a lot of those hit dice through. Now you're looking for sixes from the from the star priest to do mortals, and so that's that's the way to kind of get around that no rend is we're going to have them do mortals as well. Quick question: Why the lances instead of the blades? Um, the, I've I've math hammered it out, and the difference between them isn't that much when they're just stuck in combat, um, because we can get so many pluses to hit different ways. And the lances will double up the damage when you're charging. So uh, I just like the lances better. I want these guys charging. That's kind of what Codal, Codal Claw is designed to do. So Yeah, I, I agree. I, I would always go lances because you are building around a charging list. You are building around getting in and you want to, yeah, so basically that, that lance is going to support the charge. While, while swords are more consistent, you find, um, they're not rewarding you from what you're kind of already doubling down on. Yeah, yeah. Um, our source guard is is next, and and that's just you know these source guard. You'll see them a lot. You'll I'll probably see them in most seraphim lists. A single unit of five source guard, and they're there to just absorb wounds from your slon or your croak, and that's that's to make sure your your slon or croak doesn't get um, alpha shot off the table turn one. They um, when they're within range, three inches of the Lord Croak on a two-up, they can absorb the wound instead of him. And so it's just a way to to keep some of those wounds off of him. These are great to put inside your Realm Shaper engine with your um, Slon or Croak. They they have um, enough wounds that they can fit inside there with your caster as well. So they're certainly the bodyguard. Do, you, do they always just follow the Slon around and just protect the Slon? Yeah, pretty much. Um, you can you can use them to cap an objective later in the game if 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 you've gotten rid of their their long strike threats. If they don't have any shooting or or magic that you're worried about, feel free to do whatever you want to with them. There, if somebody's if somebody's in melee with Croak, um, he might already be dead unless you get a chance to to uh, shoot off all his close range spells. And then finally, you've got two units of of twenty Saurus warriors, both with spears. Yep, so I'm taking this. This is kind of a... I've played a lot with Source Warriors lately in big hordes, and they're constantly disappointing me. Um, they are hurt so bad by the unable to get the horde bonus for bravery that I, I, I played a game just last weekend where I lost... It was it was something like 16 in combat, which was, which was heartbreaking, and then I lost another 12 in Battle Shock uh, just because I didn't have a command point for him. So... That not being able to adjust their bravery from the hordes kind of kind of hurts. So I'm taking them in twenties to um, make sure they get their bonus when they're over fifteen. They get an extra attack, and so that that works for both their spears and their bites. So they go from attack one to attack two. So they're going to get four attacks each. Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm sorry, gonna, you know I misspoke there. It, it, that uh, horde bonus only attacks uh, only goes for their spears, but they do get an extra jaw attack for coalesced. So, sure, yeah. so you're kind of doubling down. So you've got your order cohort that's going to give you an extra attack uh, to the melee weapon, and then the allegiance ability is going to give you plus one attack because of the bite. 
Correct. And and I'm splitting them up. You could get them cheaper if you take them as one big hoard. But here, they're going to be my either screens if I need them. I put them in, in front of my knights, advance them up, running them, and then let the knights counter charge whatever clears them. Or I'm just capping objectives with these guys. So they have enough to where they can do some damage on their own a little bit, not a whole lot. Um, but they're really they're really more here for board control, screens, that kind of role. So. And I imagine you're taking the spears instead of the clubs because uh, the spears have a two-inch reach and a Soros on 32 mil bases. Yes, yeah, yeah. Which, which means that if, if they were if they were on uh, if you're only using one inch attacks, it's going to be too hard to 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 uh, I guess attack in multiple ranks. So giving mm -hmm. that, that additional inch is going to give you uh, I guess it means you're not kind of spreading out to try to get all your attacks, or you're not losing as many attacks because you've only got a one inch attack. Yeah, yeah, it gives you just a little bit more attacks on there. Um, the swords do give you rend, well, which is nice, um, but. <sighs> Uh, I'm not taking them for damage, so I, it really whichever weapon you want to take is is just fine. Yep. Although, in fairness, your your jaws are a one inch attack as well, so you'll only yeah. get the additional spear um, range. Correct. Correct. A lot of wounds. You're coming in at 1990. You've got 129 wounds. Uh, talk to me about your three endless spell choices. You've got the Purple Sun, you've got Maelstrom, and you've got Geminids all bound. So they're the ones that can't come back against you. Yeah, so here, you know, they, they did, uh, I don't think we talked about it before, but you are limited to three endless spells per the last uh, GHB. So um, a lot of my lists will, uh, I'll usually I'll have at least one, but a lot of times I'll have three because that's, that's quite powerful. Um, I'm taking Purple Sun to deal with hordes and with elite units. Uh, the Purple Sun can just absolutely wreck these units that are tough. So what you do when you cast this, big giant ball of death um any unit that it it goes across or lands within an inch of you roll a dice for however many models are in that um that unit and on a six they are slain not just immortal they are slain and so this is this is pretty powerful for for getting rid of those things like phoenix guard or um you know yeah so uh future black kings um the, any of these things that are just like really hard to kill um fire slayers you know this 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 is an, an excellent spell to to use against those um the other the other one was um maelstrom so this one i you know i don't know that i've ever seen it on the table in any other list before seraphim got bound um, it may be used every once in a while, but I, I see it a lot. I see the Maelstrom being used by non-magic armies. So if like a deep uh, kinder, no. for example, might have 10 points or 20 points, uh -huh. they'll throw the Maelstrom up. And knowing that, you know, Ser Seraphon or uh, Zench or Cities of Sigma will throw a lot of spells and they know they can't unbind them. One, it's going to make it harder to t cast. Two, it'll do some damage. Uh, but I don't really see it very often in a magic-focused list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting, and it's only twenty points, and so it's it's quite cheap to bring in, and it can get pretty much all the way across the board turn one, and so it's a good spell to cast turn one if you need something over there, and what it does is when you set it up, um, and the enemy casts any spells, you get an extra unbind to it. So if the cast is spelled or is if the spell is cast and not unbound, you get a chance to. Uh, do an unbind from this thing. And so in this list, it's actually pretty fun because Croak has a plus one to his unbind already and it's board wide. 
and you can get them up to plus two if you need to. And so you're already going to have a pretty good unbind, but if that fails, you get another chance with this guy. And so it can really just help you to shut down the magic of the other opponent. And then just as an added bonus there, if you do that, if it does dispel stuff, it'll start racking up points and you start rolling. And if, if you roll the correct number based on the points, it can explode into a bunch of mortals. So pretty, pretty fun little spell that I don't see very often, but I like it in the bound version, especially for only 20 points. And because you're not, you're not really, I keep saying doubling down, but because you're not focused on the magic, like the Starborn equivalent, you're able to do, you, you are able to throw that out and not have to worry too much of it, you know, you supercharging it or your spells being re-rolled to cast. So it's a nice little spell. And you know what, if you were to come up against, you know, it's a good utility spell. I do like it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my third one was Bound Geminids. And That's I think, we, yeah, we, we talked about it a second ago, but it, it's... Auto-include. Auto-include. Yeah, it's so good. It, in this list here, you know, we don't have a lot of alpha strike potential here in this list, almost none other than Croak's board-wide spell. Um, but what I'm doing in this list is I'm trying to get those spells on the board, turn one, and advancing towards the enemy. Uh, Maelstrom will get all the way over there. Geminids will get all the way over there. Uh, Purple Sun will get about halfway, maybe a little bit more, and then start working on turn two. And so this is all. This isn't a win turn one list for sure. This is a. I'm putting up screens. I'm putting up spells. I'm letting you come to me. Then I'm going to hit you with my knights. This is a. This is a. We're having a good battle. Let's go five rounds. Let's let's have a good old fashioned boxing match. Yeah, yeah. Not, let not not kick them while they're down and burninate them <laughs> with salamanders. Yeah. Um, I like that list. I, I think, again, the chat has kind of shown off a couple of different ways you could kind of tweak it. I mentioned, you know, you might want to add Chronomatic Cogs, for example. Uh, there are a couple of other heroes we can tweak around. But ultimately, I really like that core. I like the the doubling down on the Saurus Knights. Um, I think the big question mark is, you know, do you really need two blocks of Saurus Warriors? But as you said, they're, they're screens. Um, and if you don't like them, you could always, like, cut them down. Maybe you might want to have a 20 and then two units to 10. Um, yeah. 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 They, yeah. There's, there's a lot of flexibility. I mean, you can, in this Seraphim book, you can build lists for days. This isn't just like, I'm going to type in the best unit and just copy paste. This, this, this list is, or this battle tome is so much fun to list build in. It's, it's a lot of fun. Any final comments about the Kotal's Claw or do we want to get into Thunder Lizard? Um, I think Source Knights, look into them guys. I like them. Uh, I do like them. I do like them. Paul Castro was telling me they look better than Drake Spawn Knights. Um, hard to disagree, although I have converted mine. Um, wait, wait, so, wait! Somebody likes the Source Knight model. Uh, they're saying they're better than the um, the the Drake Spawn Knights. Uh, I, I personally like those Drake Spawn Knight actual model because uh, that that actually looks like a dinosaur. Ours are kind of a little derpy, but they're 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 a fun model still. <laughs> Do whatever you want. It's your <laughs> yeah, hashtag, yeah. it's your hobby. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's talk about Thunder Lizard. Thunder Lizard is the second list we're going to explore. Um, so this is a little bit of a different build, and you're going to get different rules compared to the Kotal's Claw. So uh, what do you get for your buck? So first off, you've got Mighty Beasts of War, so you add plus two to the wound characteristics for Thunder Lizard monsters. Mm -hmm. So um, I, so you when, when you take this sub-allegiance, um, all of your dudes are going to get... Well, all your gals as well are going to get the thunder lizard um, keyword. So basically, anything that's monster gets plus two to plus two to their wound characteristic. So who does this benefit? 
this benefits, you know, your Carnosaurs, your Stegodons, your Dreadsaurian, your Bastilodons. Um, this all, all your monsters you're gonna be taking. This is this is gonna be the home of the monster list. This is this is I end up playing Thunderquake a lot because or Thunder Lizards a lot because it's just fun to put the big giant dinosaurs on the table. And this, this is book, my list. This is my list. When yeah. this book got re revisited, I hoped and prayed to the old ones that I wanted like just a monster mash. I, I didn't even want the, the the monsters to be ridden by Skinks or Saurus. I'm like, just give me. Uh, I remember in old Warhammer Fantasy, there was like this feral version of Seraphon where it was all dinosaurs, no handlers. Um, and I'm like, please give me this. But this is probably the closest I'm going to get with the Thunder Lizards. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of fun. It, it does it does give you some extra wounds. Um, this really isn't the best ability that they have in Thunder Lizards, but it's nice to give some extra wounds, especially for things that are hard to kill, like Bastilodons and whatnot. Um, the command ability here for, for Thunder Lizards, this is where uh, your list-building decision for Thunder Lizards starts. And so you have this ability here that's, that's pretty interesting, and it can help you play in this meta of extra attacks, extra shoots, out of phase kind of stuff. And so this command ability, at the end of your shooting phase, you get to either pick a Bastildon or a Engine of the Gods that's wholly within 18 of a friendly hero, and you basically get to activate it again. Bastildon, you get to shoot again. Engine of the Gods, you get to roll their Cosmic Engine ability again. And you're going to be spending a lot of command points using this. Um, so these lists need to have ways to get command points because you're going to be spending uh, probably two command points activating different things per turn on this ability. But this is a very valuable ability in Thunder Lizards. No, um, oh, I was going to say, you can go looking at this ability, you can go a couple different ways. And, and Bastildons are the ones that I think benefit most from this and that um, you're going to be looking to utilize this as much as possible with Bastildons. Uh, your Engine of the Gods is going to use it. It's not quite as important, but it does give you an access to some summoning and some heals and some damage from the Engine of the Gods, which I think is a pretty good all-around unit for Thunder Lizards to use. But that Bastildon is just an absolute tank. So not only does it, you know, we'll talk about the one plus armor save. Um, I assume you've got one in your list, but if not, we'll talk about it uh, a little bit later. But just the, the the shooting. I remember even in the old school Seraphon, the very first book, you would off. I would often fight two Bastilodons. Um and there might be a, there might be one engine of the gods, but there was always two Bastilodons. So, and I, I think if if you played Seraphon in the old book and played Thunderquake. This this command ability right here uses those same models. You know, you had your engine of the gods and usually two Bastildons in that Thunderquake list. And you can just slot those right in here. So everything that you had will pretty much work the same way here, or not the same way, but it'll work in this list with this ability. So it's 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 nice that we got that bone from a very popular battalion in the last book will slot right in here. Your, your command trait, so uh, the Thunder Lizard General with a monster mount must take the command trait, and that is uh, Prime War Beast. Add one to the attack characteristics of weapons uh, used by the General's mount. So this is, not the, this is not the General, this is the mount. Correct, correct. So this is, this is one of those things where we were talking about, you know, you got to stack your synergies on top of synergies. So you get an extra attack for all your mounts here um, with the... With the constellation, you can activate another plus one attack for all the mounts. Um, 
and you get plus one to the jaw attacks. And so there's ways to keep stacking these things on top of it. And there's even a, a battalion, the Thunderquake Battalion, that will give you one more attack on top of that. And so what may not be a good looking war scroll for a monster, once you add, you know, three extra attacks on all those mount profiles, all of a sudden becomes quite scary. So, yeah, it's very good. Very good. And you're some, you know, some books that give you terrible command traits in these sub factions. Um, I generally like most of them that come in this book and, and there are ways to get out of it. If for some reason you don't want it, it does require a monster mount. So if, if for some reason you didn't want to run it this way, you can get out of it by using a different general that doesn't have a monster mount. Final thing you get is your artifact of power. So in your shooting phase, you get one enemy unit within 12 inches of the bearer that's visible. On a one, the artifact can't be used again for the rest of the battle. Ouch. On a two to a three, nothing happens. Okay. So this is not starting very well. On a four to a five, they take D3 mortal wounds. And on a six, they take D6 mortal wounds. So there's a 50% chance of doing nothing. There's a one in six chance that it's uh, going to shut down completely. And then on a 50% chance, it's doing D3 mortal wounds, or do, doing some form of mortal wounds. Yeah, this is, this is one of those artifacts you kind of wish you could get out of because there's better things. But... It's, it can give you some range damage for something that doesn't have it. Um, to be honest, this is this is the, you know, there's usually something in your list you constantly forget about. And <laughs> at least I do. This is that thing. I constantly forget this uh, to roll for this in the shooting because a lot of times I have it on a, a unit that doesn't have any shooting. So I just, yeah. I just totally forget about it. So uh, it can, I mean, the opportunity for D6 mortals wounds at, you know, uh, 12 inches, it's not bad. I mean, it, you got to take it. So <laughs> I, I think it's worthwhile. It's just, yep. It reminds me of the bad moon for gloom spike kits where I'm just like, um, I'm going to roll that one when I need it. Uh, and I'll often forget about it. And yeah. I have to remind myself um, constantly. I'll need a token. I'll need something just to remind myself. Yeah. Because like, you're right. When you, when you're not in a shooting army, you quickly, sh you get so excited in your movement, then charges that you, you, you skip the phase entirely. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Anything else you'd add with Thunder Lizard, or let's get into your list and show me how you've built around these sexy abilities. <laughs> um, I think a lot of times in in Thunder Lizard, you'll see primarily one battalion used, and that's Thunder Quake. And I think this is where you'll see a lot of Thunder Lizard lists come down, either on Thunder Quake. Uh, which will have usually a lot of stegodons in it because they can run and shoot and still charge. So that's where you're going to have a big block of stegodons shooting up the field. Or you're going to go Bastildons, and it doesn't quite benefit as much from Thunderquake. Um, Bastildons running and shooting is good, but they already have pretty decent range. They have 24-inch range and a 5-inch move, so usually you've got a decent target turn one, and you don't have to worry about it too much. Um, so... I kind of come down to those. If you're using Stegodons, you'll, a lot of times you'll see Thunderquake used. If you're using Bastildons, it's not really necessary because they don't get a benefit from the extra uh, melee attacks. Bastildons don't. So, um, In this list, we're not going to use a Battalion. And I just noticed an error. I did take an Artifact Cloak of Feathers. That should have been Fusil of Conflagration because <laughs> we're not taking a uh, Battalion in this list. Uh, good, good shout. So don't don't at me uh, if you watch this video <laughs> later. Um, by the way, this video uh, I, I mentioned in a lot of my my faction focuses and talking that there's um, armies that I really want to start after I do it. 
this is this one a monster mash running stegodons running bastilodons running just dinosaurs um this is the uh, a high risk army for me so uh please don't provide too much uh passion behind the thunder lizard build <laughs> because i might go out and because i'm i mean i'm in a really weird level right now where i'm getting frustrated about gargans not here yet and i may just lose it and go buy space lizards um but thunder lizards so you've taken a stegodon with a skink chief that is the general uh we've got the command trait of the primal war beast you have clarified that we don't have the cloak of feathers it is the uh fusel of conflagration i hope i'm saying that right <laughs> i did that partially because i knew i butched that completely uh and then the weapon is the sky the sky streak bow you've also got the lord croak with the stellar tempest again um we've got the skink star priest hand of glory again you've got a skink priest and a skink priest so we've got a little bit of commonality um we've also got 40 skinks 20 source warriors five guard five guard we've got a bastilodon a bastilodon uh, bound Geminids, Bound Burning Head. I can't wait to talk about ba Bound Burning Head. <laughs> it is my favorite endless spell in Seraphon. <laughs> yeah. So, and and Paul Castro, his uh, AKA Crazy Horse, is is asking us to confuse the, all the, the new players with the one plus armor save. So we'll get to that when we talk about Bastilodons. Starting from the top, Stegodon with Skink Chief, Chief uh, the Command Trait, the Artifact, and the where. I know they, they, they're given to us. We have to take them because we're Thunder Lizard. Mm -hmm. But talk about the Stegodon Skink Chief. So the Skink Chief is a a, a great. I, I love Stegodons. Now I I I I struggled to not just ride a bunch of Stegodons in here. I've got uh, five Stegodons myself, so I love running Stegodons. But Stegodon with Skink Chief is a lot of fun. He's he's uh, can be fast. He can hit hard, and he's got good shooting and good command um, ability. So his um, command trait gives him plus one to all his um, his mount attacks, which there's like three different profiles for his mount attacks and plenty of attacks that do damage. He has a jaw attack, so he gets plus one from there. You might put the constellation on him. So again, we're stacking all those attacks on top of each other. But he's also pretty tanky. He starts with a four-up save, but if you put him into the right unit, which is five or five models or less, he gets a plus one from his Stegodon helmet or his Stegodon helm, his his big bony head. And so, yeah, he's, if you put him into the right unit, he's going to be a lot harder to kill. Um, his weapon there is the sky streak bow. And this, this is, is pretty interesting in that it's got three attacks. There are threes and threes minus one, but three damage. It's this little uh, sky streak bow that the, the skinks on top of the singer pulling is, is incredibly deadly when it actually makes it through. Um, you're probably fishing for one of those to make it through, maybe two, and just kind of plink down those heroes that have already got, kind of been hurt by Croak's mortal spells. But it's got good range, 24 inches, and he's got 8-inch moves, so you're going to be hitting this thing um, pretty much wherever you want to into their army. And uh, does good damage. Three damage from 20, 24 inches plus 8 for his movement. I mean, there's not a lot that, that, that you can ask for that. So, um Love it. Lord Croak. You've got Lord Croak with the same kit out. Mm -hmm. Is it the same type of uh, role and support that you're bringing in Lord Croak to play in Thunder Lizard? Or is this model bringing something different to the table in this build? Nope. Same, pretty much the same thing here in that you're using him for command points because you're in Thunder Lizard. You're going to be firing off these Bacillons as much as you can. And he's going to be there to generate command points, cast that, that um, board-wide mortals, and then get your endless spells on the table. 
and I imagine the Soros Guard, one of at least one of the Soros Guard unit that you've got, again plays a similar role to supporting Lord Croak and, and absorbing some of those wounds that come at the model. Yeah, in this list, I, I you know I, I took an extra guard unit just to give him a little bit more stain power. Um, if somebody's attacking him, he can hold an objective longer. If he's got you know twenty wounds, you've got to get through to get to him. So. The Skink Star Priest similar role has Hand of Glory, but we've only got one. Um, we've only got one Star Priest. Instead, we've gone two regular priests. So I guess why not two Star Priests again? Uh, and then what do the Skink Priests bring that the Star Priest doesn't? So the Skink Priest, in my mind, is pound for pound one of the best like priests out there. This guy with you know one roll of a dice on a three up. He'll give a unit plus one to their save. They can run and charge and shoot. And um, one other thing that I'm forgetting, but he is—he uh, gives this uh, prayer to the skink to skink keyworded things, which includes our stegodon. And so he has an amazing ability. And, and that prayer right there, plus one to save and run and shoot and charge. I mean, that's right there is powerful. That you would pay well more for that for just one in my mind. And these guys are incredibly weak. They only have four wounds. Um, so I did take two of them because I, I am going to want to put that same buff from their stick on two different units if I can turn one or make sure I get it on one unit. On That's the, first the turn. Star Stone stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. So on a three plus, uh, that unit can run and shoot or run and charge in the same turn and plus one to their armor save. And he has a command ability that's also pretty good. It gives you plus one to your hits. And so um, he also you know, can spend the command uh, points that you're building up to. Yeah, that's brutal. Yep, yep. And for, for 70 points, for 70 points, what a great little buff piece that if it dies, who cares? It's 70 points. And it's easy to build in redundancy. One skink star priest is almost the same point as two skink priests so you're going to have a little bit more flexibility on the table and hey we know general's handbook 2020 now does have some scenarios where you get additional victory points if you have a hero within range so you've just increased the whole bunch of heroes and opportunities to get those vps mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um they yeah, they and you'll see a lot in in both Starborn and Coalesce. I think it has a place for that Skink Star Priest paired up with the priest that goes with our Skinks here. Yeah, I have I haven't seen it yet. I think most people are loading up on Salamanders, loading up on a whole bunch of yeah. I mean I mean if Tabletop yeah. Simulator has anything to do with it, you know, we're seeing like three to four big blocks of maxed out. But yeah. we yeah. did we did see the points adjustment in Salamanders in General's handbook. So okay. you may find that maybe people will move away from that build and look for variety in the skin priest. Yeah, I purposefully stayed away from salamanders just for these lists. I think a lot of people have seen those. I, th I think they are quite good, uh, but I kind of wanted to do something a little different. So there are ways that, that you know, salamanders fit in coalesce quite well, um, especially in, in Thunder Lizard with Thunderquake. They fit in that battalion extremely well. Um, but I kind of wanted to keep it away from like the the croak power power unit and all his buffs and salamanders. I kind of wanted to stay away from that for coalesce, um, especially That's, for that, that story's been told. Like, like yeah. That, yeah. It, it, all it takes is a two second Google search and you'll find an <laughs> yeah. internet list that is based around croak salamanders skinks and just dropping from the sky, burdenating the peasants. Mm -hmm. 
from a unit selection, you've got your twenty, sorry, forty skinks with uh, your bolt splitter dagger. The how, how many words? <laughs> World's largest, longest um, <laughs> weapon selection. So you've got the daggers and the bucklers. Um, what's the what's the forty skinks for? So this is this is a a unit here. I sometimes include it in coalesced. It does have a critical Achilles heel of bravery five. So if you get alpha struck on these guys and you don't have a command point, they're going to start running fast. But they have so much utility and can have so much output that it's just hard not to put them in a list. They also offer you bodies, which Thunder Lizard um, really needs. It needs some form of bodies on the table because you've, you're usually running a lot of monsters. We've only got three monsters in this list. It's a little bit different uh, Thunder Lizard list. Um, but... We're trying to take advantage, I think, of what the um, the ability for Thunder Lizards is, and that we're going to try to hit hard in in the turn one if we can um, with this list. If they give us turn one, we're we're going to make you we're going to punish you for it. Um, these skinks right here with the Star Priest and the Priest, those are the, uh, it's going to be their uh, pair that goes along with them can be brutal. So they have an eight inch move, but with the skink priest, if he gets his, his prayer off on a three up, they can now run and shoot. And so their bolt spitters have an 18 inch range. And now you're talking 14 plus 18. These guys can shoot pretty much whatever they want to when they're running and shooting. And so you're going to throw 80 dice with skinks because they have one shot each, but when they're in a horde, they get two. And so you're throwing 80 shots you're going to probably use a command point if you have enough for plus one from the priest. And then the star priest is going to point his staff on them to give them some mortal output on the wounds of six. And so um, you can pretty, pretty reliably deal about 15 damage to a four up save anywhere on the board with these guys when the, uh, the buffs happen. So it's, it's a turn one hit that I think kind of pairs well with this thunder lizard shooting list, which is kind of a little unique. I think, well, yeah, I love it. And what I love as well is um, the minute that someone sees a Bastilladon, let alone two, I imagine a lot of opponents will put all of their focus on the Bastilladon to get it down from the one-plus armor save and get that degrading profile, all while you've just told us about how you've just maximized the skinks. Because I don't think a lot of people are going to focus on the skinks. But if they do, then you've got two Bastilladons that people aren't focused on and are still running around causing havoc with a one-plus armor save. So it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. Um, uh, and, and what's cool as well is you've obviously got the battalion. If you wanted to go the battalion build with the Thunder Quake Temple host, while you do have to add the Croxigors to the unit, uh, you do have that flexibility with some additional stuff around running and shooting or getting um, additional attacks in melee. So, mm. um, again, there's a lot of cool flexibility here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a great a great build for Thunder Quake that I just love is putting three Stegodons on the table in that battalion, and they're going to be running across the board and hitting you turn one, hitting you hard, three monsters. And it's a, it's, it's a lot of fun. They'll, they'll die to hordes and stuff like that. But they're uh, a heck of a lot of fun to, to charge a, a across the board. That is an absolute, like, missile. You just, like, literally just run, run. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, let's, let's talk about the pink elephant in the room. We talked about guard. We talked about Saurus Warriors. Correct me if I'm wrong. I imagine your Saurus Warriors are screens, very similar to the last role. Yep. You've got yep. Saurus Warriors who um, are there to protect Crow, give a bit more versatility, maybe mm -hmm. even hold a back objective. 
the the guard I do like. Most people don't take two of them. I do kind of like it in in that you can allocate one wound to one, one wound to another without killing any models. And then if you switch your spell over to healing, you can heal them back up or heal one of them back up. And so there is a little bit of staying power, little shenanigans you can use if the horde busting spell on Croak isn't useful in that 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 match. Well, worst case scenario, you just drop one of those and take a bound Emerald Life Swarm and just yeah. keep bringing back models. So yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so annoying. All right, let's talk Mastilodons because uh, I'm seeing in the chat that we, we are talking about it. And when it very first came out, it caused a lot of confusion. And if you're new to Age of Sigma, you picked up the battle term because you love the ideas of running dinosaurs. This is one of those rules that's going to cause confusion with your opponent because the rules interactions and the order and how it all works is a does cause confusion. So can you help me understand the Bastilodon and the one plus armor save shenanigans? Yeah, it, it is it is a little confusing because let's uh, talk quickly about rend. When when you're applying rend to a save roll, most of us just just apply it to the dice we roll, and we just say their save roll, or we apply it to the save. So if we're looking at something that has a four up save, you got rend. We say in our heads he's got five up save, and we roll the dice. But that's not really how it works. Uh, what you're doing, that rend is modifying the dice roll and not your save. And so a Bastillon has a one-up save. And so where it gets confusing is, is when you're rolling those dice, you don't apply the rend to that one-up save. You apply it to the dice. And the dice can never be modified below one. And so when the Bastillon has a one-up save, or uh, a two-up save, sorry, um, only ones can damage him. And so, um, because I said that wrong, he does have a one up save, but natural ones always fail. And so yeah. when you're modifying those dice, see, it's, it's confusing. I did a whole video on it for like 20 minutes. We talked about that's it. That's right. We're, right. we're going to get, we're going to get this out of you and then we're going to break it down into a real example. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, keep going, keep going. So you're modifying the dice. So it doesn't matter how much rend you have, the dice can only go down to a one. And then you compare it to his save and only ones are going to fail against his save. And so it doesn't matter what you roll, only natural ones are going to fail. And so um, it's kind of an odd interaction there. Um, I think it's a little bit easier to think until you put enough damage on him to bracket him, only natural ones are going to fail. That's the easiest way to look at it. Now, the, the confusing or annoying or frustrating, depending on which side of the table you're on, is that it's not hard for you to get a reroll one armor save. Command point, Mystic Shield, you, you're going to be able to get someone to be able to reroll once. Mm -hmm. So yep. when you talk to your opponent, because I can see this is a real bad, a feel bad situation when you're talking to your opponent and they're like, well, how do I kill it? Until it has suffered three wounds. So it needs to suffer, when you look at the bracket, the zero to two bracket, mm -hmm. you need to have to put basically three wounds. So you want, you need three ones. That's really what you need. If someone has Mystic Shield or has some way of rerolling the armor save, you, you really try to get as much damage as possible and get as many ones on the table until you bracket it to three wounds taken. The more wounds that it takes, the easier it is because it then loses that one plus armor save. You'll see the bracket goes down to a two plus, a three plus, a four plus, um, and it'll just keep going down. 
the other thing to call out and crazy horse is beating me to the punch so thank you for for being a, a gentleman and a scholar is that um the one plus armor save doesn't affect mortal wounds so if you pop three mortal wounds on the on the bastilodon we're now at a two plus, a two plus armor save yeah and then and- put a couple more wounds on it's at a three plus armor save so it just degrades as it goes and there's plenty of things that can that can plink three mortals onto things in this game and I've, I've lost quite a few Basildons in the games I've played. They're not invulnerable. They're not invincible. They will go down. Put a couple mortals on them, and all of a sudden, all that rend applies. Because they no longer have a one-up save, the rend that you apply down to a one matters. And so they, they can, basically, until they take those three wounds, rend doesn't really matter. Once they take those three wounds, rend matters. So... And as Heywo Twitch in the chat has has called out, the hot take really here is your opponent really should be focusing their mortal wounds. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you have a complete weight of dice where you're able to shoot 60, 60 shots at the Bastilladon and you're mm-hmm. fishing for the ones. You know, mortal wounds would be the priority. Then second would be attacks. And you're going for um, qual- uh, quantity of attacks, not quality attacks. So that's how I would think about it if I was an opponent because I imagine you will have to explain this and try to explain it clearly mm-hmm. to make sure that your opponent doesn't have a feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. Explain to them how, how it works. There's, there's a, a great little chart and uh, I'll try to put it in the comments later that shows kind of clearly how this works and with the dice. And I think it really will click. If you hand that to your opponent and say, here's how it works, they'll understand it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's only one plus when it's unwounded. The minute yeah. it takes three wounds, the, it, the, the game changes a lot. So a lot of times in this list, uh, what I do with with Croak is he's got extra spells that you're not going to be able to cast turn one. Make sure you always pop Mystic Shield onto one of these Bastildons so they're only taking damage on a one-up, and that's re-rolling. So it, unless they can do mortals, it will take a lot. So kind of kind of offer that, that Mystic Shield one up the field a little bit to where kind of bait them into it if they don't have ways to do mortals. Yeah. Yeah, you, you definitely want the models and, you know, there's, there's ways around doing that. You, you might be able to protect your Bastilladon with Emerald Life Swarm, look for ways for healing it, mm-hmm. but um, it will be a big focus or people will just completely ignore it if they don't have the tools to be able to handle it with mortal wounds or with lots of attacks. Um, and again, Haywo with the hot takes has said, when it's at its top bracket, consider it as ethereal which is great, which means no rend. Uh, it's just the way that the one plus then works. So mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. keep in mind that that's a, a nice way of explaining it. So it's, you know, unwounded for the first two wounds, treat it as ethereal, and you need me to, to roll ones on my armor safe or just hit me with mortals. And of, of note, the extra two wounds you get for monsters, it doesn't apply to the top end of the bracket. It applies at the lower end. So those, those extra two wounds from Thunder Lizard um, come on the backside. So. Yeah. Yeah. See, so Bastilodons are coming in. They do some good damage against Chaos Demons. They get the plus mm-hmm. one damage. Um, they've got a 24-inch long-range solar engine beam. They're coming in with um, mortal wounds with the Arc of Sotek if you roll a six to hit. Um, just generally good stuff coming out of the Bastilodon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they on their, they're not going to do... They're more consistent than they used to be on their damage. I wouldn't count on them deleting hordes and things like that. You're, you're, these are surgical solar engine strikes that you're doing because they do hit on fours. You have nine attacks, fours and threes, um, only minus one rend. They do do two damage though. So 
it can spike high sometimes and that that that's really nice but it can also you can fail quite a few of those and especially if they have a good armor save it's only minus one ren so Unwounded, you're getting nine attacks though. So it's nine nine attacks, hitting on fours. If you didn't buff them or anything, hitting on fours. So what's that? Four and a half go through, wounding on threes. That's what two and a half, three go through, uh, rend. Yeah, I mean you could probably do some consistent damage, but you're right, it's not going to just absolutely nuke the t- the opponent. I, th- I think you know math hammering it, it's four damage against a four up save is is what you should statistically do. Um, but Bastillons have fun tricks. So in this list, you've got two of them. So um, you're going to be using those command points to double fire them. So you're doubling that damage that they're doing. And now you're talking, you know, uh, 16 damage against the four up save output from <laughs> from 29 inches away. These guys all of a sudden become a lot scarier in Thunder Lizards. Yeah. Yep. Finally, I can't wait to talk about this. This is like my favorite thing. Bound. <laughs> so you've got Bound Gemini's. Ugh, boring. We know what that does. The yeah. Bound Burning Head. This is something that a lot of people probably haven't even painted. It's one <laughs> that I like in my Gits army. Um, it's it's still good value, but under Bound version, it's just incredible. I, I wish I could bound this in so many armies. <laughs> talk to me about Burning Head, why Bound matters, and what does it do for you? Yeah, Bound Burning Head is one of those spells that, that you don't really take all that often outside. I mean, I don't think I've ever fielded it until it became Bound because um, it can come back and hurt you. It does D3 mortals against whatever it passes over, but it also gives a reroll hit rolls of one. And so you've got this ability, and it's within a range of 12. Nine, nine inches? 12? Nine inches, it may be nine. I think it's um, nine or 12. Okay. Um and so a lot of times you wouldn't want to cast that to an enemy and give them D3 mortal wounds and then reroll hit rolls of one. Why would you do that? Um, but here in this list, when it's bound, it's under my control. And so a lot of times I'll park this either next to the skinks if they need a reroll hit rolls of one. But I love it bus in between my Bastildons. It'll just sit there in this bubble with my Bastildons and now they're doing even more damage. They're rerolling their hit rolls of one, and we're double firing them at you know a twenty-nine inch threat range. These guys are you know we're stacking those synergies on top of these things and making them a little bit more damaging, a little bit more damaging. And now these this burning head um, is pretty interesting. I like it. Yeah, I, I look. I was running it where in my Gits army when I had two colossal squeaks, and I just like send them forth to go destroy. Um, <laughs> And if they have like 16 wounds a piece, it doesn't matter if they take D3 mortal wounds. Yeah. But for 40 points, you're essentially getting a command, two command points because they're rerolling one. So anything wholly within, it's wholly within nine. Thank you for clarifying it, chat. Um, it's wholly within nine. So I found it was really good for independent models or a large monster base, not yeah. necessarily like a big block. Uh, there's a bit of manipulation, but yeah. having two Bastillodons, having two Colossal Squeaks, having two, two you know, Vampire Lords on Zombie Dragons, that's the kind of thing that would really take advantage of it. And you're essentially spending two, com- you're, you're gaining two command points by not having to reroll one. So um, that's sexy. Yeah. And, and you're double firing those. So, I mean, it's almost like you're, you're, 
you're using what would normally cost, you know, four <laughs> command points if you wanted to, you know, do it on every time you're going to roll those dice on those two Bastildons. So I love it. I love it. So with, the, with, the, with the nine attacks from the solar engine, the, um, you're getting a lot more consistency and a lot more value, again, out of the double Bastildons. And for 220 points, you know, again, we just talked about the one plus armor save and how that works. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's crazy value while the rest of your army is coming up the board and just um, claiming objectives, killing opponents, doing doing what it does. Yeah. So in this list, you know, it, it's kind of designed it to hit hard turn one, but in a in a little bit of a different way than what some some expect. That Stegadon on Skink Chief, you know, if he gets the prayer off from the Skink Priest, he's moving up the board pretty quick, um, and he can ch- make a charge. If you move the the constellation to plus one to run and charge, he's getting even further. So you're hitting with him, you're shooting with him, you're using that fusel of conflagration with him, you're hitting with Croak's mortals, you're hitting with the skinks as they're throwing 80 dice at somebody, doing mortals on the wounds, and then you're firing Basildons four times and hitting with Geminids. So this is, it doesn't look like it has a lot of synergy, it just kind of looks all over the board, but this thing is gonna hit turn one extremely hard. surgically against certain things you know you need, need to know what your threat ranges are or your threats are on the table but it's it's, it's going to be a fun list it's it's well for you <laughs> yeah it, again it's, it's a fun game right it, uh, i yeah. think this this has the potential of having a great game um again you know season for taste you might want to put in a stegodon mm-hmm. you might want to put in um pterodons or ripodactyls if you want some speed and, and mobility you might want to you know remove the skinks and, and put in more Saurus warriors or more Saurus warriors into more skinks. Uh, again, kind of tweak and tailor, maybe chromatic cogs for more speed, maybe a, a, a purple sun for more damage. I think what I'm seeing here is two really fun different builds that aren't the uh, help putting the dread Saurian, like put the dr- goddamn dread Saurian in. And uh, if you want to talk about a bullet, just run that big base up the table. Or if you really want to make your opponent mad, a Dread Saurian on one side and then Gotrek allied in on the other. <laughs> You're nasty. You're a nasty hoe. Uh, that's, that's, that's brutal. Uh, but again, like again, I think the purpose of this show, and um, you know, there were some comments about Starborn. Starborn is more is stronger. Like the, you know, the pink elephant in the room is Starborn is stronger. But I think I challenge Caleb to, to show me off some different lists in a coalesced. And I think we could both agree that these are competitive. You'll still go to a tournament, get at least three wins. You know, this is a, at least a three win kind of, as long as you play it right, there's no reason you couldn't go three and two or four and one with this type of build um, with practice and, and you know, knowing what you're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. This, this is not like a hot garbage list, uh, but certainly you're going to have probably a better player experience with this than if you just had Starborn with Slan dropping down Salamanders, burning everything within 12. Um, <laughs> like, like yeah, yeah. Salamanders are nasty. Then teleport. But like you're going to have a better experience with your opponents. So uh, maybe this is a way to look forward to and keep the, the viability of Seraphon alive. Yeah, Coalesce is a lot of fun, especially if you if you like monsters. If you like Stegodons, Carnosaurs, Basildons, this is this is this is where you play them at. This is where you have a lot of fun with uh, Coalesce and with Seraphim. So I guess I've got one final comment or, or question to ask, and that is: with all of your experience playing Seraphon, uh, talking about Seraphon on YouTube channel again, if you want to learn more about Seraphon, I highly recommend going and subscribing and checking out Caleb's uh, YouTube channel. It's one hundred percent dedicated to Seraphon. What have you learned along the way? 
what are the, what's the the tips, the tricks, the tactics, the things that if I picked up this battle tome for the first time may not be evident just by reading the war scroll? Is there anything that you'd, you'd tell me as a, a new player? Um, I, I think you've got to look beyond the war scrolls. If you're looking at just the war scrolls, you're not going to get the the full aspect of this army. Some armies you can you can like you look at eels and you understand what they do, and, the, and you don't have to do much else in either the deepkin with eels. Um, in this army, you've got to figure out those synergies, how they work, and it doesn't. It's not always like everything in one bucket. You pick and choose from across the army, and it's got such a wide model range that you can have a, a viable list, I think, in this book a lot of different ways. Um, so look for those synergies. Remember to stack those things on top of each other because you can get some crazy output once you once you get those synergies uh, clicking together. Um, Anything else? My, my favorite thing about Seraphon is the Stegodons in that they have a perfect howda on the back to add whatever you want to on the back. So um, this thing is nice and flat. It's a kit bashing dream to add to your Stegodon. So put things on there. I have a, her, a Celestial Hurricanum. I was, I was just about to say, I've seen really cool Hurricanum and Luminarchs yeah. used with the Stegodon. I've, I've got some of the um, Celestial Ballistas from Stormcast to represent these uh, these Skystreak bows. They've, you know, Stegodons have these bows on top. So I've got Skinks pulling these giant ballistas on top uh it's it's a lot of fun these things are made to be kit bashy stegodons are so if, if you're running some stegodons have some fun with with the uh model there they seem to be uh wonderful to paint uh they look like they are despite uh, some models being quite old um they go to go to contrast paint really well given the scales given the detail it is an easy army to paint i like the colors um there's a gentleman in my gaming club chris welfare that decided to paint all of his skinks like um skittles so he's got like big blocks of skins, but you know, you got yellows and oranges and reds and purples and blues, and it just yeah. looks lovely. And that is nature. That is that is lizards. That is reptilian. And you could go, you know, streaks and patterns. You could go as crazy as you want, but also you don't have to. Yeah, yeah. If you want, if you want a brightly colored army, this is. I mean, you, you can have fun with this army. I've seen all different types of colors. Mine is pretty bright. Um, on the table, especially compared to some of the guys I play with. He's got like a camo themed army. And then here's my bright in your face kind of army on the table. So you can have a lot of fun and it, it is perfect for uh, contrast paint. All the scales take perfectly to that. And you can do other things. You can go to your aquarium store and buy like aquarium plants to mm -hmm. do the jungles. You could use resin to create water and, you know, make a wet kind of feel. Um, there's a lot you can do with this, this army. And I think that as a hobbyist, certainly draws my attention not just the play style but uh as an overall army it's one that you'll enjoy for a long time absolutely absolutely any final closing comments or let's bring bring this show home um i would if, if you're looking for more on seraphim go to lustria online it's a it's a website that has it's just all seraphim players and they, it's an awesome community. It, it got me in. They have the, everybody debating about lists, about rules, about models. Um, there's, it's an entire website dedicated to Seraphim. So it's, it's, it's a great resource if you're looking to get into Seraphim. And the, the shameless plug is his channel as well. Yeah. He's uh, <laughs> absolutely incredible. Caleb, thank you very much for what I think was a really detailed and differing view to Seraphon. The chat has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining us live here on chat.
I hope I, we've inspired some people to try things out. You may still go back to, to Starborn at your next tournament, but playing with Coalesce and exploring the other types of builds, putting your Stegodons on the table, bringing down your Ripodactyls, bringing in uh, your Saurus Knights. I think we've kind of proven that there's still a lot of value um, to be putting on the table other than just Salamander's skinks. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Have fun. This is a, this is a fun army. You can go a lot of different ways with it. All right, Caleb, chat, chat thank you very much. I'm going to get to work. <laughs> See you guys. See you. G'day. I hope you enjoyed that video and you're left with some new ideas. One of the biggest ways you can contribute to AOS Coach is by liking the video you just watched and leaving a comment in the comment section. This lets YouTube know this is a good video and it should recommend it to other hobbyists. If you'd also like to support the channel even further like these bloody legends, go check out AOS Coach on Patreon. Otherwise, don't forget your triumph.